Hello, whoever is listening. Um, my name is Paige, and I am an Okie, and I'm a wife, a mom, a realtor. I've been a believer for a number of years, um, been a passionate follower of Jesus um, for a different number of years. Uh, maybe started walking with Jesus before I, I really even understood how awesome he was, and and in the process of falling more in love with the Lord, his word has just jumped off the page to me in a way that I wish I would have known was available to me maybe um, as a little girl when I started walking with the Lord or in seventh grade when I started having a quiet time and praying and that sort of thing. And so uh, one of the reasons that I've been able to grow so much in my walk with the Lord outside of just his goodness and his grace um, is through podcasts. I listen to a number of podcasts and as a a woman that has kids, um, travels quite a bit, I have a career Podcasts are just an awesome way to feed my soul with the word of the Lord um, that just really allow me to be full of the things of life and set my mind on the things above. So uh, I have several friends that I uh, external process everything to um, as I'm reading the word and the Lord just gives me these aha moments. And so a couple of months ago, I just kind of felt like um, I needed to steward those revelations better, and I wanted to do that through uh, creating a podcast so that, that women, whether they're my friends or whether I don't know you at all, you could come into a place that you feel like we're friends and that we're having a conversation about the Bible that feels um, familiar to you and comfortable to you. And so my goal is that... Um, Whatever frequency we do this in, whether it's weekly, daily, whatever that ends up looking like, it's that I bring a passage of scripture to you um, that you can ultimately walk away from this podcast knowing that that God spoke to you through the scripture in that moment. And then you can go and you can, can chew on it, meditate on it, hide it in your heart. And so I could be wrong, but I think there's about 23,145 verses in the Bible, and we're literally just going to be looking at 20 tonight. And, uh, and, and so we're going to move through quickly, but um, I told you my name's Paige, told you a little about me. I'm affiliated with a ministry called Entourage Ministries that's new. And so the great news is that I'm not the only woman that's experiencing um, love for the Lord and love for His Word. There's a team of women that I serve alongside. And, and they'll be joining me over time. So this building that we're in, if you're on Facebook Live, uh, you probably hear like um, the cars, the motors. We're in like an old garage building, which is really cool because um, cars came here when they weren't working well and they kind of got checkups. And so we do a lot of women's ministry out of this building and uh, there's a lot of imperfections about it, but I always say, that uh, God's love is perfect in this place. And even though you're not physically here, I hope that that just comes through. So here's where I'm going. If you um, have the Bible app or you want get, to get your word out or if you're driving, and hopefully you're not watching if you're, if you're driving, but if you just want to tune in and, and check the accuracy of what I'm saying, we're going to be in 1 Samuel. That's a book in the Old Testament. So if you're not familiar, open it up, um, go back toward the beginning, then go forward a little bit. And we're going to be talking about a couple of different characters. Now, disclaimer, I'm not a theologian. I'm not going to pronounce all of these names right. I may even abbreviate some of them down to letters. Um, but, but we're going to get to the heart of the message. And there's about five things 
that the Lord has put on my heart to share with you. I'm not even reading in this passage, uh, like on, on a regular basis in my quiet time. This is just something the Lord kind of birthed into my heart on Monday and has been unfolding. And really the main things about this podcast, he just showed me a few hours ago. So we're going to go through the discovery process together. But if you've ever been a woman in despair, or you know a woman in despair, then I hope that you'll listen, because I think there's something here for you. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel, the first chapter, looking at verses 1 through 20. I like to read from the Amplified Version, but there's a ton of great versions out there, so feel free to use whatever's comfortable to you. Um, Starting in verse 1, it says, There was a certain man um, of the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham. And then we're going to skip over some other names. It's just talking about what tribe he's from, the lineage. And all of this is pre-Jesus. Old Testament means before before Jesus. So if you can just kind of piece together uh, about the word and know a little bit, um, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, then we've got Noah and the flood, then you may remember um, the stories of, of of God's people that were slaves in Egypt. They came out of Egypt. They went to the promised land. Then there's kind of this period of time of, of judges and kings, and this is getting into that period of time. So, uh, so all of these characters are from the nation of Israel. And while these are literal historical characters, uh, what makes the word come alive is when you begin to see yourself as the characters. And so that's what we're going to try to weave together. So we've got character number one, that's Elkanah. And Elkanah had two wives, which is really weird and um, not okay to do in our faith now, but back then, culturally, it was okay. And so he had one wife named Hannah. You probably know who Hannah is. If not, I'm going to tell you who she is. And then he had another wife named Penina. Now that just sounds like trouble. Penina had children. But Hannah had none. That's really important. Two wives, women naturally compete and compare. One of them has children, um, what, like this evidency of her intimacy with this guy. And then one has no evidence of that. And so that would be a tough situation to be in. So it says this man, Elkanah, went up from his city each year to worship and sacrifice the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. And there were two sons of Eli, and they were priests to the Lord there. When the day come, came, excuse me, that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions of the meat to Penina, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion because he loved Hannah, but the Lord had not given her children yet. So again, I just want to know exactly what they're doing so you understand for context. During this period of time, the way that God fellowshiped with people um, was in formats uh, like this. They would go, this is a peace offering. They would submit an offering to the Lord. Part of that would be given at the altar, facilitated by the priest. And then a family would sit down, in this case, and they would, they would fellowship, they would feast, they would eat the rest of that. And that was a means of them connecting and fellowshipping with the Lord. And so this was going on during a particular feast, a particular time of the year. We don't know exactly what feast, but we know that it was something that happened on a regular basis or an annual basis at least. So continuing to verse 6, this is talking about Penina. It says, Hannah's rival provoked her bitterly to irritate her and embarrass her because she didn't have children. And so This is where I just want to pause and be like, okay, I don't even know who these ladies are. What does this have to do with me? 
Don't just look at Penina as Hannah's rival here. Look at her as, um, as the enemy, as warfare, as, um, as the enemy in your own life. When I talk about the enemy, I'm quite literally talking about the enemy, like the age-old serpent of the garden, Satan, the devil himself. So you've got Penina, and she is literally taunting this woman. I'm going to go over those three words again that it says, says that she would do to Hannah. Each year they would go to partake in this fellowship. It says that she would provoke her bitterly, she would irritate her, and she would embarrass her because there was not evidence yet of children in her life and of God giving her that blessing. And so if you go on to verse 7, it says, So that happened year after year. Whenever she went up to the house of the Lord, Penina provoked her, and she wept, and she would not eat. So you've got this woman that is making another woman live in shame. She's embarrassing her. She's creating bitterness in her life. She's calling her out. And really, the outcome of that, those are tactics, but the outcome is that it keeps this woman from fellowshipping in that particular way with the Lord. And so I would just say in general, that's always the enemy's objective, to keep God's people from fellowshipping with him. So here we are in 2018. Um, I've got Jesus in my heart. I'm a daughter of the king, right? Um, But I still see enemy tactics in my life uh, where the enemy is trying to push me toward bitterness, where the enemy is just trying to irritate my schedule, my peace, or he's trying to embarrass me, especially um, whenever there's that issue of inferiority or comparison between two women. And whenever you start focusing on those things and experiencing those things, they can consume you, and they can disturb your fellowship with the Lord if you let them. And so we're going to see what happens now. But the first lens that I kind of just want you to look through in the story is noting um, and really all of Scripture, when there's, when there's a defined enemy, she's described as a rival here, um, it's, it's a pretty good picture of, of spiritual warfare and how our actual enemy works, even in 2018, so far removed from this. Okay, so we know her tactics, embarrassment, irritation, uh, provocation, and, um, and again, the outcome was that it disrupted her fellowship with the Lord. It literally took away her her appetite in terms of what was going on in that moment. Then in verse 8, it says, Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you cry and why do you not eat? Why are you so sad and discontent? Am I not better to you than ten sons? What a kind husband. I just want to pause right here for a moment and say that um, I feel like as women, sometimes we think if man, if there was just a man that loved me so much, then uh, my life would be fulfilled. Um, If there was a man that, um, you know, loved me more than anything in the world, then, then I would have full joy, full contentment, and full peace. And I think you see evidence that that's not the case here. It already said above that he actually um, gave her larger portions than uh, her rival, his other wife, uh, Penina. But for her, that still wasn't enough. There was still anguish in her soul at something not only that she wasn't experiencing yet, but also uh, because of the tactics of of the rival that was at work in her life. And so uh, verse 9 says, So Hannah got up after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now, I know it seems like she ate and drank there. I actually think it's probably referring to the fact that um, her family and the folks that she was with were eating and drinking because we're going to see later that she actually does um, gain her appetite back. It says, Eli, the priest, 
was sitting on his seat beside the doorpost of the temple. So just to unfold this picture a little more, you've got these families coming up to this place of worship, uh, this temporary tabernacle sort of thing, and that's where, uh, where they experienced the Lord, uh, where the sacrifices took place. And so you can, experience, you can kind of picture everyone doing their own thing, and then this woman going off in great distress because she just cannot uh, find peace and fellowshipping because of what this other woman is doing in her life. And so verse 10 says, Hannah was greatly distressed, and she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. She made a vow, saying, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction and suffering of your maidservant and remember, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never touch his head. I know that sounds really weird. That's called a, a, a Nazarite vow, and, and that's something pertaining to the Old Covenant and in the Old Testament. So just noting that she is really um, just kind of squaring away with the Lord. And, and I would just say that while the enemy's um, tactics for other years had kept her from fellowshipping with the Lord, what's true also is that um, the enemy really produced a level of anguish in her life that pushed her to the Lord. You may have heard the verse um, in Romans, Romans chapter 8, that talks about how God works all things together for the good of those that love love the Lord. I would say, looking at Hannah's life, God did not cause this anguish in Hannah's life. Um, her rival caused this anguish because she was provoking her. But she reached a point where she had an appetite for nothing else until she just had to bring all of it to the Lord. And that's what you're experiencing here. And I think everyone hits that um, a low point at, at, at some point in time in their life. And, and what the word says about that is that um, the Lord is near the broken and contrite and that he exalts the humble. So it's like in those lowest points of anguish and despair, that is like breeding ground for God to be able to come in and, and just breathe the miraculous into his situation, and that's what we're going to see happen. So there's an onlooker, right? We know that Eli the priest was nearby, and it says, it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, and her voice was not heard. So Eli thought that she was drunk. In pop culture today, like there's a phrase that says, go home, you're drunk, like, um, probably didn't know that pretty much is like straight in the Bible in this context. He's saying, how long are you going to make yourself drunk? Get rid of your wine, woman, like it literally says that. And so I just want to pause here, and I want to repent for the times that I've been this person. I feel like Eli here represents kind of the church in a sense, those that are called um, to be partakers uh, in the fellowship of God, those that, that represent God to a lost world. And Eli does not recognize the despair in this woman. Eli accuses this woman of something else because he is so off base in understanding what angle she's coming from. And so a lot of damage can happen when that goes on. So for any woman that's listening, um, if you've been hurt by someone that was part of the church or that was a believer because they did not recognize the anguish or the despair in your heart, I'm so sorry. Um, I repent personally. I ask that um, you would not hold it against the Lord and, uh, and that you would, would be willing to, um, to give God a second chance. And so 
Hannah in verse 15 actually gets the opportunity to explain herself. That's a wonderful thing. Every woman, uh, every woman that is God's daughter always is heard and has the opportunity to be heard uh, in, in God's kingdom. And so she says, no, my Lord, I'm a woman with a despairing spirit. I've not been drinking wine or any intoxicating drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. I wrote a blog uh, yesterday, and it's at entourageministries.com, and it's just talking about the woman that's lost her voice and how really, um, I, I love that it says she was praying with her heart and her soul, but, uh, but um, her voice was not heard. There's something about those moments of just pouring out your soul to the Lord that he's able to pour into the situation and you find your voice again. And that's what you're seeing unfold in this conversation between this church guy who's accused this woman of being drunk, but she's really just brokenhearted. So she goes on in verse 16 to say, do not regard your maidservant as a wicked and worthless woman. Father, forgive us for the times that we've treated, treated your daughters that way. That was me. That's not scripture. I wanted to clarify. Says, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and bitter provocation that we know were started by her rival. Then Eli answered, and I just want to pause for a minute and say, This is what the church response should look like. So he gets it right, and we're going to follow his model. It says, Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked. And Hannah said, let your maidservant find grace and favor in your sight. So the woman went on her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So just want to point out two things again. One, as a, as a church and as Christians, when we are responding to women in despair, the improper response is accusation. The proper response is to allow women to share their story and then to speak peace into their life. That's exactly what he did. He said, go in peace. And then he said, may God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. So the way that we address despair, we speak peace into the situation, and then we partner in petition and praise to the Lord. So reading verse 18 again, it says, Hannah said, let your maidservant find grace and favor in your sight. So the woman went on her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. The family got up early the next morning, worshiping together before the Lord, and then returned to their home in Ramah. And Elkanah knew, like in the intimate kind of way, Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her prayer. So I just want to pause right there and note a couple of things again that I think are probably the most profound out of the entire text. And it's that Hannah experienced a heart change, not when she saw her miracle happened. It says in verse 18 that her face was no longer sad, that she went on her way, that she began to eat, and then in verse 19 that she went and worshiped the next day, and then she returned to her normal circumstances. And then after all that, it says the Lord remembered her prayer. Peace didn't manifest in the miracle for Hannah. Peace showed up in her surrender to the Lord. So I'm going to go back and read in verse 10 to you again. In verse 11, and remind you of what that surrender looked like. Hannah was greatly distressed, and she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. She made a vow saying, O Lord of hosts, 
if you will indeed look on the affliction and suffering of your maidservant and remember and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. She surrendered what she didn't have. And in that, she found her peace from the Lord. And the Lord remembered her. And verse 20 says it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived. Then she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel. Samuel saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. And if I remember right, um, Samuel's name means uh, because the Lord heard me. And so as we just recap all of this, because it's a lot of information. And again, how cool is God's word that this is 20 verses of 23,000 plus verses. Um, I want you to be able to see yourself in this story. So we're going to go back and I'm going to take you back to the beginning when we talked about enemy tactics and arrival. And I want you to think right now about the person that is causing you grief and heartache in your life. Got them in your mind? Be honest. <laughs> okay. And I want you to think about if you're experiencing any of those things at, at their uh, or, in the, through, or through their actions toward you, embarrassment, uh, irritation, bitterness, isolation. Now I want you to pause and just consider that, um, that they're not the enemy. They may feel like the enemy, but they're not the enemy. They're not seeking each day to thwart your fellowship with the Lord or to disturb your peace, even though their actions may feel that way. There's a different enemy at work. So I just want to pray uh, real quick for you to be able to see that situation with clarity and to see who your enemy really is. Dear Lord, I pray for this woman that may be listening or watching, that if someone quickly came to her mind that seems like a rival of sorts to her, that is making her experience some of the anguish and despair that Hannah was experiencing, I pray that she would see the woman as you, or man, it could be a man, as, as you see them, and that she would be able to distinguish um, what is spiritual warfare and what is not and that she would realize that what is really under attack is her fellowship with you. And, that, and to remember, Lord, just that we would all remember that we, we wage war against things that we don't see, not what we do see. Amen. Next, I want, thinking of the same person, I want you to keep thinking about that same person that's causing you uh, to experience those things. And I just want you to ask yourself, is that person a woman in despair? Or a man in despair? Again, it could be a man. And if you're listening to this, I assume, you're, I assume you are a, a believer. My question to you would be, do you see them? Or like Eli, are you accusing them? Because Eli, what he saw was that Hannah's uh, mouth was moving, nothing was coming out. What he saw in the natural was not wrong. He saw a woman that looked like she was drunk. But what was wrong was that his instinct was to look first in the natural instead of the supernatural, to the heart, to the soul of a situation. So just ask the Lord right now, is there anyone in my life in despair and anguish that I'm looking at too much in the natural 
And, and Lord, would you give me eyes to see supernaturally into the heart and the soul of the situation? And the next I just want to say, for anyone that has lost their appetite, that you're still sitting at the table, kind of the table of the Lord, but you're not eating, you have no appetite for fellowship with the Lord, have you reached the place that you're just willing to go and surrender to him what you don't yet have? Because really at the point of emptiness, isn't that when we're ready to be filled? Yes, it, it is rhetorical, but yes, it is. And so, Lord, I just pray for whatever woman is listening or watching that you would show her what is it that she needs to surrender to you that is not in her hands yet. And I pray that as she just opens her hands and releases to you whatever that desire is, maybe it's a husband, someone waiting for, for a husband and um, desiring to be married someday, but they're not experiencing that yet, that she would just surrender her husband to you in the same way that, that Hannah surrendered her unborn, unconceived son, Samuel. And in that surrender, in that exchange, there would be a heart shift and that peace would manifest. Uh, maybe it's someone waiting for um, to have another child or, or for a raise or for a different boss at work. I don't know what those things are, but we all have things that we're kind of uh, making our peace contingent on. Um, and, and when we make our peace contingent on something, then we are sitting in despair and anguish because peace outside of the Lord um, doesn't exist. And so just that, that opportunity to surrender what doesn't yet exist is an opportunity for the Lord to come and, and fill your life with peace. I know it doesn't make sense, but that's looking at it in the natural instead of the supernatural. And then two more things in closing. One, I want you to think of a woman right now that you, that you know you need to speak peace in her life and that you need to partner with and petition in asking, asking God for, for the good things alongside of that woman that he has in store for her. That is what I believe the role is of, uh, of Christians toward one another. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. We know that from, from Scripture, but verse 17 says, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you've asked him. Who are the women in your life that are in despair and anguish that need to hear you say that to them? Go, live in peace, live in peace. I'm gonna pray alongside you that God is going to come and give these things uh, to you in your life, these good things. And so um, that's really it for now. Um, the only other observation that I had um, was just that at the at the onset of of talking about this, I described a little bit to you about a peace offering and how that was the normal means of fellowship with the Lord and that Hannah really wasn't participating in that. Um, I love that we serve a God who um, gives us an invitation to fellowship with him in ways that don't look the same as what everyone else is doing. She went off by herself and looked like a drunk woman pouring her heart out to the Lord. Everyone else was doing something that looked very normal uh, very culturally acceptable, but God still met her in her circumstances. So I pray that just like Hannah, as we close this out, that whatever the enemy has done in your life to irritate and embarrass you that is driven you to anguish, that that anguish would bring you to a place of surrender with the Lord that you might be filled, that you might have an exchange of peace 
that you might go back into your normal circumstances without sadness, eating, which is symbolic of fellowshipping with the Lord, worshiping, and then experiencing the miracle that you're waiting for, but with peace already in your heart. Um, for more information about Entourage Ministries, you can visit our website, entourageministries.com. We have a monthly corporate gathering. Um, November's is coming up next Tuesday in Durant. If you're in Durant, you probably already know about that because it's on Facebook. But that's it for, for now. Um, if anyone has questions, comments, or prayer requests, um, we'd love to hear from you on those. You can contact us at connect at entourageministries.com. Thanks, guys.